That's right. That's that's good. That's good. Unless, of course, somebody comes up with uh, six-minute abs, then you're in trouble, huh? No! No, no, not six. I said seven. Nobody's coming up with six. Who works out in six minutes? You won't even get your heart going, not even a mouse right. on a wheel. That, good point. Seven's yeah. the key number here. Think about it. Right. Seven, seven elevens? Yeah. Seven dwarfs? Seven, man, that's the number. Seven chipmunks twirling on a branch, eating lots of sunflowers on my uncle's ranch. You know that old children's tale from the sea? Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I, of course, am your host, Tyler Crawley. And yes, the reason we played that clip is because of the big story yesterday in Bloomberg about the three-day work week. Because for a long time, everyone's been talking about the four-day work week. Is the four-day work week going to take over? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom we get the three-day work week. So yeah, I guess the third-day work week has to worry about someone sneaking up and coming up with the two-day work week is something they have to be concerned about. So there's a company out of India, which right now is facing some massive labor shortages. A lot of demand, not a lot of workers. And so one of these startups, Slice, their founder, Rajin Baja, told Bloomberg that the three-day work week is the future of work, saying, quote, people don't want to be tied down to a job. It's the best of both worlds. Workers can get salary and full benefits working a three-day week and spend the rest of their time chasing a startup dream, looking for a co-founder, or pursuing a non-work passion. Now, Slice began offering its three-day option recently, And it's betting its timing is opportune because as millions of engineers are preparing to return to in-person work and they've been benefiting from this work from home situation where a lot of people have been sort of taking some downtime when needed and they're concerned that going back to work means they're going to have to go back to work not only both physically but mentally. And so what they're hoping for is some type of balance And this is essentially what Slice is offering. Now, proponents of a shorter work week are pointing to recent studies showing a boost in employee productivity and well-being. So we all know, I think we talked about this maybe on the podcast. In Iceland, research out of Iceland has found that working fewer hours for the same pay led to improved well-being among workers with zero loss in productivity. In fact, in some places... Workers were more productive after cutting back their hours. And that is very similar to what they found in Japan. So Microsoft Japan gave its 2,300 employees the opportunity to choose a variety of flexible work styles according to the circumstances of work and life. The results of the experiment were extremely positive indicative that workers were both happier and 40% more productive. Now, here's the issue. It's hard to tell what the result of a shorter work week will be for the long term. Even the researchers who found increased happiness and productivity, for example, in Japan, actually wondered if the 40% productivity gains 
may not be realized once the shortened work week is established. They thought that maybe employees had boosted productivity to make this seem like the better alternative. And then once this perk becomes established, they'll fall back into their bad habits and lose that productivity and then some. So the big question is, is a shorter work week the next big thing or is it the latest bad workplace idea like the open plan office, which everyone thought, oh, it's going to be so great. Everyone's going to be able to work and they're going to be talking. And then it turned out to be horrible. It was an awful idea. And <laughs> all these offices are adding the cubicles back and they're saying we got to find a way to get rid of these open office plans. And so it's hard to say. I mean, there's no doubt that employees benefit. There is no doubt about that, that having more flexibility, more time to kind of work on your mental health, that is a benefit. The question, because let's face it, we are talking about capitalism, is what does it mean for the company? And the reality is, it's, it's so funny because a lot of times, you know, people online will talk about capitalism and how it's going to lead to the downfall of society. And capitalism is all about greed, 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 money, money, money. And that's true. But the reality is, is that it's about a balance, because if you burn out, if you make your employees work and burn candles at both ends, they're going to burn out and that employee is going to be worthless to you. And so what you want is an employee who can do their best work possible and last the longest because if they don't last and they leave after X amount of time, you're going to have to hire a new employee and train them. That's going to waste time. It's going to waste productivity. And so what you want is someone who can last and someone who can work the most. And so... Even capitalism is about a balance. And that's the thing people don't realize is that it's always about a balance. And what capitalism tries to do is find that balance. And so is this the new way of working? Or like I said, is this just another fad? Time will tell. I guess we will see. Now, speaking of time telling stories, for those that do not know, for the last, what, four or five months? If you've been listening to this podcast, you know. Loans and forbearance have continued to fall week after week after week after week. And once again, they've fallen again. Total number of loans now in forbearance fell seven basis points to 2.89% for the week ending September the 26th. According to the mortgage banker's estimates, 1.4 million homeowners are now in forbearance plans, meaning that in 30 of the last 31 weeks, total loans and forbearance have fallen. And a reminder, I got to keep reminding because it's important that one week was not an increase. It was just not a decrease. It was flat. So for 31 weeks, we have not seen an increase. That's over half a year. We have not seen an increase. Mike Frantoni, the or Mike Frantantoni, the Mortgage Bankers Association Senior Vice President and Chief Economist, said in a statement that loans in forbearance are exiting at a faster rate than we have seen recently. But guess what? It's about to get even faster. Saying, quote, while 1.4 million homeowners remained in forbearance, as of September 26, this number is expected to drop sharply over the next few weeks as many are reaching the 18-month expiration point of their forbearance term.
terms. Now, that wasn't the only forbearance report, the one from the Mortgage Bankers Association. We also got the monthly mortgage monitor report from Black Knight, and it found something I think very important. So remember we were told, what, six, seven, eight months ago, or maybe even longer, back when the pandemic started, we were told, uh-oh, we are going to see a housing crisis homes in forbearance that's going to lead to defaults and it's going to be 2008 all over again now obviously talking about loans and forbearance week to week mortgage bankers association I mean, the numbers fallen probably at 1.4 million if not lower but here's where things get even better and i would say better because what we don't want is a housing collapse when you have too many people who are behind on their loan payments, they can't make their payments and they walk away from the home. So here's the benefit. According to Black Knight, research shows just 7% of homeowners in forbearance have less than 10% equity after, 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 I cannot stress this enough, after including the 18 months of deferred payments, the potential for foreclosure activity persists Regardless, so just 7% of the people in forbearance, that's 7% of 1.4 million have less than 10% of equity in their home. Now that's important because as you all know, the average home price or even median home price is around $300,000. So that means most people are sitting on a good chunk of change when it comes to home equity. But even those in forbearance, only 7% of 1.4 million. So we're talking about, what is that? Maybe 100,000 people have less than 10% equity in their home. So we take the median home price and those people have less than $30,000 in their home. And that matters because let's say they have $20,000. Well, in that situation, what's gonna do, it's gonna push them Instead of walking away, because remember we had the great housing crisis of 2008, people owed more on their homes than they owed in loans, or they hadn't, I should say, in their home. Their home was worth. Their home was, you know, they had a $280,000 loan and they had a loan for $200,000. They walked away. Well, if you have any equity, dollars $20,000, sure, it's not a ton in the grand scheme of things with regards to equity, but it's a good amount. And so if it takes you $10,000 to move out of your home and you have $20,000 equity, you can still walk away from your home with $10,000. So you're not going to take it to foreclosure. What you're going to do is you're going to sell it and you're going to walk away with a little bit of cash in your pocket. Or even if you break even, that's a better route to go. And so that's why, you know, it was so funny. All these people were predicting this foreclosure crisis. And when you actually looked at the numbers, uh, it, it wasn't even close to that. And here's, but there's something else that's also important in this housing report. Everyone wants to know when this housing, this hot housing market's going to cool off. And we've talked about it here on the podcast. We've seen signs of it. And this Black Knight report actually shows another potential metric that shows that things are starting to cool off. And when I say cooling off, I don't mean that the prices are dropping. They're just not increasing as much as they were. You gotta stress that because it's so easy for people to interpret things as, oh no, if the prices aren't going up, that must mean they're going down. No, 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 they're just not going up as much. So the Black Knight Mortgage Monitor report found that the annual home price growth slowed from an all-time high of 19.4% in July 
to 19% in August. <laughs> so we're still talking about 19% year-over-year growth. It's just not 19.4%. But the reason that's important, that was the first time the annual appreciation rate had not increased month over month in 15 months. So this is another example of people arguing that things are starting to cool off, which is good because we did have that Wall Street Journal piece over the weekend that said that homes were becoming more affordable and we're getting to those 2008 levels. And so things cooling off, that is the market working. That's what you want to see happen. Now, one of the things you don't want to see happen is this podcast ending. But unfortunately, it does have to. We'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday morning. A lot going on this morning. We got the trade balance dropping at 8.30, and then we got the CoreLogic Home Price Index. We'll talk about that. That comes out at 9 a.m. We'll talk about that all tomorrow here on the podcast. You guys have a great Tuesday. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.